Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Can I Be Funny? I am JQ. I'm taking a leaf out of Mr. Goldsmith's book and doing a pre-intro to uh, this week's episode. Uh, there's a couple of things I wanted to say before we got started. Uh, first one is thank you for listening. Um, up to sort of episode 15, 14 at the moment and... Um, a few people have come up to me and said that they've enjoyed listening to it and I didn't know that they knew who I was or even that they listened. So um, thank you for that. If you do see me on the circuit and you are a gig and you have listened to it, just come and tell me how amazing it is because I need reassurance that this is actually working. Um, I find it really helpful. Um, I'm hoping you guys do as well. And also wanted to clear up something from the last few episodes where we've talked about Lurgershaw. The gig's actually called Lovey Tim's Comedy in the Country, run by a fellow child of Logan, Mr. Ashworth. Uh, He berated me on Facebook the other day for not pointing that out. Uh, It's a great gig down in the country. I think he's doing it once a month. Um, So hopefully I'll get invited down for another one. Uh, maybe just to help clean up afterwards I'm not quite sure I think that's about it uh, today's guest is the wonderful Barry Ferns um, a lot of you will know him from Angel Comedy uh, lovely guy uh, it's a great interview so uh, enjoy in the hot seat today it's Mr Barry Ferns hello welcome to the show thank you for coming on that's right pleasure so you're fairly well known in the comedy circles I'd imagine um, yeah, notorious. Notorious, because yeah. I, I looked on uh, Facebook and you're the person with the most mutual friends. I think it's something like 45. Right, okay. And I hadn't met you and everyone's going, have you met Barry? No, he's really nice, he's really nice. Oh, that's nice. Uh, this, uh, <laughs> I finally got to meet you last week or the week before last at Angel Comedy, yep. which is your your amazing night. Mm, my baby. Your baby. Mm. How have you found running your own night? Um, well, uh, it's a lot of work uh, to make it good. Um, I, I I decided to run my own night predominantly because I was tired of playing nights that weren't very good. Yeah. That, uh, like you go to a night and, you know, I'm just, I've turned out so many comedy nights and there's comedy gigs in inverted commas comedy you turn up the football's on in the corner on the yep. tv yeah there's it's in the room with a bar the comedians all turn up there's 12 comedians there and the promoter isn't even there yet <laughs> and it's the time that he's meant to show up and you just can think what what why is this happening <laughs> like you know yeah like seems some, like some kind of you know divine joke but um I, I just did so many bad gigs and it's so difficult to get into good gigs i just thought right it actually is probably worth my while just to like effort wise and time wise to, to put it into my own. So angel comedy was one day a week. Um, and then it became really successful in that day. So it moved to two days a week and then it, that those days became overrun. So it became three days a week and then it became five days a week and that's seven days a week. So it, it, yeah, it's, it, it became, yeah, quite busy. It seems to have exploded in the last sort of three or four months, isn't it? Um, yeah, well, what's happened is that it's, it was always busy, even this time last year, it was busy on every night of the week but the, um, that we were doing. But um, that we found that because we've kept the quality up as well as expanded the nights, that it's just people, it's busy on every night. So then it suddenly seems that much bigger. And also we're getting much bigger acts. Like we've got Nick Helm coming along on yeah. Wednesday. We've got Joe Wilkinson from two episodes of MASH coming along on Wednesday. You know, and that's a new act, new material night. Um, last night, Imran Youssef was in, just popped in. So we're getting bigger and bigger acts. No, it's a big room. Uh, no, it's a, no, not a big room, but no, it's a room that's busy uh, that they can try new stuff at. Yeah. And so we've, we've got this really nice atmosphere. We get brand new people, like literally doing their first gig, and Russell Howard. <laughs> you know, it's uh, a good, great mix. Yeah, yeah. Has it always been in the upstairs at Angel at the Camden Head? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's a big old room to... Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not too big in the sense of... And I, I also, there's the other thing is I don't run the gig if there's, two, if there's less than 40 people. Really? No. Uh, because then it's a hostage situation, <laughs> not a gig. So, uh, like, I the 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 rule that I'd say is that people, like, if people come to a gig, it's a lot more difficult for the gig to be good if there's fewer than forty people in that size room. Obviously, right. in smaller rooms, maybe twenty will be your cutoff point. Yeah, but the it's a lot more difficult to make a gig good if there aren't enough people there to laugh. 
and so if it's if it and the longer it goes on and the, the, you know there's a lot of pressure on the audience yeah so my thinking is that okay so 30 people show up and we tell them that i'm sorry the gig isn't going to go ahead those people 30 people are much more likely to come back if oh, they get right. turned away because the gig hasn't happened whereas if the gig happens and it's terrible they'll never come back that's very true so it's 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 just a case of, and you know, and also I'm sure they'll have a much better night chatting to their friends or chatting to whoever they're with <laughs> rather than sitting in an awkward kind of like semi-silent state yeah. wondering what was happening, why are we here? Because <laughs> you know. I was there, was it two weeks ago on a Thursday night? And when you were doing the emceeing, you said how many people have been not been here before? Mm. And it was most of the room hadn't been there, <clears> which I was, was amazing because I'm used to doing rooms that have got like six or seven real people in small rooms and mm. to have that many new people is that a normal thing or is it it seems to be you know i was going down the hall the flight of stairs in my uh where i live which isn't where near angel and i overheard two people talking just saying oh yeah there's this great night it's free and it's every you know it's every day it's an angel so like did they know you no no they had no idea who <laughs> i was they were just talking to each other but overhearing things like that and it's i think there's a there's a bit of a I, you know, people come, they realize it's free. They realize it's a nice night and it's fun. And then they want to invite friends and yeah. they, they'll come back. But what happens is that if one person talks about it to five friends then those five people haven't been there before. So yeah. we get one person bringing a load of other people back and, you know, it's just by reputation. There's a lot of goodwill in the club because it's free and it's not a profit making. It's run by comedians. Um, for comedians and for audience members there's a lot of goodwill in the club because um, the, the audiences there's goodwill in the, from the audience perspective because it's free there's goodwill from the comedians perspective because you know it's a nice gig and it's well run and we also pay our acts on Fridays and Saturdays ah. so uh, because we get a bit more money on the bucket from people donating on right, Fridays yes. and Saturdays so it's just a matter of equitably distributing that between uh, between all the acts so how the um, actual pub um, reacted to it? They hate us. Really? No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they're, they're lovely. The, the pub's really nice. Uh, yeah, they're, um, uh, yeah, it's well run. It's a nice pub as well. It's a nice, nice pub. But uh, no, they like us because we're busy. That's good. You know. So how long have you been running that? Is it a couple of years, three years? Started now? it in 2010, July 2010. It's a long time. Do so, you... to, well, no, actually started it in October 2010, probably. Something I was thinking about this morning is, are you happy that you've got this night or do you think that it might have because you're doing so much emceeing has it hurt your own career do you think or has it enhanced it um i i don't know i can't tell i i do know that the comedy circuit at the moment is a really difficult one to progress in yeah and that the only reason the only way that most people progress is by having the right agent that can push them into the right areas so right now the only thing that's important to me and and i and I, this is the well. The only thing that's important to me is to grow creatively and become better as a performer. And I think there's a real change, um, or the way that I'm trying to view my creative process is that I just want to become better. It's not about being on TV. It's not about getting the best gigs. It's not yeah. about getting a huge amount of money. As long as I'm paying my rent at yeah. the end of the month and I'm getting better as a comedian and writer, I am winning. <laughs> so, so you're you're doing this full time now. There's no other job in the background um, well no there are bits and bobs I do bits of film editing I do you know like but my overheads are very low and right. that's been one of the tricks to it I've been able to kind of not worry too much about the money coming in so when so, you first set up the night was you working full time or were you still or you were yeah I was working at Camden Council <laughs> cleaning the streets yeah <laughs> so what point did you sort of um, when did work get in the way of doing your comedy um well, I kind of, the, I was a victim of the cutbacks ah. uh, at Camden Council. And when that happened, um, I was unemployed for a while. And then at that time, I kind of really started pushing the comedy and pushing the club and trying to really make it as good as possible in as many ways as possible. And then there was that crossover. And then I was able to kind of, I, I also got some other work in. So... But because my work is freelance, so I can work a couple of days a month yeah. and make the 400 pounds I need to make. 
in order to pay my rent yeah. so and uh, that's a great situation to be in like i've got the luxury i suppose of not having a family not having a mortgage i say luxury <laughs> i'm very alone <laughs> but uh, other than that you know i've got the luxury of being very alone <laughs> uh, so do you think being made redundant um was a good thing in the end um Yes, I think that one of the difficult things with comedy is, or anything that you want to do, is that if you've got a very, if you've got a comfortable environment that you're in, you, it's very difficult. If you've yeah. got enough money coming in, if you've got, you know, a family that you love that you want to give time to, of course you, you do. It's very difficult to give the extra time to to, to a pursuit, artistic pursuit, because it just, well, listen, I've got to love my kids, or, yeah. you know, I've got to be around them, or I've got to, you know, I, I'm earning £60,000 a year doing this, and I like my job. Like, yeah. you know, why would I go and choose to drive around the country doing gigs <laughs> for Mirth Control, um, you know, for £40 each? It's a, it's a good thing to do, it's, a, you know, it's a, but why would I choose to do that when the rest of my life is really comfortable? Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of people that are really good comedians and could make it, but practically will always make the decision listen this is going to be a hobby not a job ah. because it's you know because to, to to be honest at the moment to make it a job is nigh on impossible it's you know the the people that are coming through uh the haircuts the young haircuts the 22 year old haircuts with i wish you know, i could have a haircut like, yeah. i've got no hair <laughs> well no you can always shave it totally there's a you know there's no real space on tv i mean because <clears throat> when you look at the amount of money that you make or moving the 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 stand-up circuit is is ret- getting smaller fewer people are seeing live comedy ah, believe it okay. or not in the country and there's a there's a lot of comedians that have been comedians for 20 years that have been making a good living from it mm. that are saying oh no now you know going down literally going down from doing headline spots to opening spots really yeah there's a real bottleneck of people that are really good that can't move on to the paid circuit mm. and so it's actually one of the worst times to be a comedian in the country because it's like uh your supply and demand there's infinite supply and the demand is shrinking so um so i'd say that yeah it's a difficult thing to do professionally so where where do you see yourself on the comedy career ladder at the moment um i don't know i like i'm not i really am at the moment just doing the things that i believe in that's good there. And yeah, so I, I don't really see things in, I know it's probably to my detriment, but I don't see myself as on the ladder. <laughs> like maybe it's because, you know, I, I can't, I'm still looking for the first rung. I'm sure it's in the room somewhere, <laughs> but uh, you know, like I'm on a, I'm like a blind man in a dark room looking for a black cat that isn't there. <laughs> like um, I'm just kind of wandering around kind of aimlessly looking for the ladder. But um, so I'm just, yeah, I'm just doing what I'm doing. But people must be asking you to do things. Um, not so much, no? not so much. I mean, uh, you know, I do do the odd gig here and there. I did the comedy cafe, I did an opening 20 at the comedy cafe last weekend. This weekend I did, uh, 10 at the funny side of Covent Garden. But because I don't ask, yeah, you don't get, and you know, I don't, I'm not prioritizing. Like I say, the important thing for me is to get better. Yeah. Um, I would rather spend that couple of hours a week writing because my time's finite like I've realized recently that, that my time is my uh, my most valuable resource yeah because it's just you know just slips away but because my time's finite I'd rather spend a couple of hours I do a week I could do a week trying to get gigs in different places writing you know and because I've got my own place to to perform at it makes it a lot easier to go right okay I'm improving by doing this and right now my theory around stand-up for me is that once I am a unignorably good then you know i'll get asked to do things like you have to be so good that people are falling over themselves to see you i didn't read that somewhere else you've got to be so good that people want you i I think it was steve martin said it somewhere yes yeah Uh, i read that somewhere uh, i can't remember where it was but uh i mean i did think it independently but then i then i read steve martin goes well of course (laughs) you know what he's talking about we think uh, we we think like his audiobook is great by the way he reads it with such dispassionate disdain (laughs) for the the comedy kind of careers like yeah i did this and then i did that and then i was playing to arenas which is like hundreds of thousands of people i was just so anxious all the time poor old steve yeah but but you can see why it's you know like um, why it's a difficult time for him but it's really interesting because it's almost like a biography written by somebody that's a total expert yeah you know it's it's not really doesn't read as an autobiography and it's really fascinating about the curve from being nobody to and that cusp of area that area where 
it's a rare thing where somebody moves from being unknown to massively known yeah it's like because uh, yeah anyway it's but but the yes the idea is to be ignorably unignorably good rather than ignorably good which is what i feel i am right now so do you, <laughs> so do you think your mc work is the perfect place to try out new stuff or um yes and no being an mc like if you're a good mc what you do this is my belief is that you leave the stage as soon as the audience are ready to hear you do more right like as long as soon as the audience are ready that the uh, a good mc is has no ego to them it's like right this audience is entirely ready for me to start my first proper joke and the first act is <laughs> bad mcs and you'll see them all the time because it's very difficult is it, people like okay so the audience is ready now you know i'll do i'll i'll plow into some material and i mean you know and all will tire an audience out and as soon as the audience is tired out and your your next act is and that's i mean you know that's great for the mc in the short term yeah. really bad for the night really bad for the act that's i've only following. had that once it was a i can't remember his name but he was he was chatting and then i thought right i'm gonna go on now and then he got his book out and started reading yeah. a poem yeah and the whole yeah. energy in the room just got yeah. sucked away and i had to go yeah. on and then just to sort of mild disinterest yeah, yeah. I couldn't believe it and it, it, where, anything, was it? where was it Can you remember? I, don't, I don't want to say okay I don't want to, i'll tell you after this okay. <laughs> okay. um with because <clears throat> i've done angel comedy three times now mm. i've never had a good kick there oh i don't know why because on yeah no i there are pictures of you around i, I say Thanks. don't laugh at this fella <laughs> um i don't know what it was because i was thinking about this the other day is when you're on stage and you're performing all the crowd do is make a noise at you they, literally they, they're just laughing <laughs> so that there's no sort of like to and fro really and they're not chatting much mm. in certainly for me because there's no heckles or much audience interaction so all they're doing is making a noise but when they don't make that noise why does it make you fall apart i don't i'm trying to work out why that i can't plow on regardless of whether they're mm laughing or not because i got completely panicked okay um because they weren't laughing at the stuff i was doing i thought well, i had to i had to switch to the stuff that i knew worked and then got some laugh by the end of it do you find you get well panicked? that's that's but that's your there, there's your point right there like you have to switch to the stuff that you know worked yeah <laughs> like the way that most people do new material if they're new is they go out and they start doing new material whereas experienced people what they do is they in a at any given set they will put maybe 20% new material in yes. so they so that they can actually have a good marker on whether that new material works so they'll go on and do 30 30% of their set or like 40% of the set of the tried and tested stuff right. so they got a marker of like how much people are uh, looking uh, are laughing and then they do their 20 minutes of new, 20% of new um, and then they do they finish with with strong at the end yeah so with that you have like this almost you know it's almost like watching a bmx jump where you 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 know the the bit in between is the bit that you don't know yeah the way you know and so the land the the, the takeoff and the landing that's where you kind of so what you're experiencing there is doing new material but instead of doing new material it's like jumping out of a plane but instead of jumping out of a plane with a parachute what you're doing is you're you're jumping out of a plane without a parachute and hoping <laughs> to land somewhere nice because it wasn't so, completely new but it was just i'd done it a few times before and i thought it was good but mm. I don't think I just had the confidence. But it's in it. that, but even if you think it's good, just to have the beginning and mm. end, and you know, are uh, your bankers that's yeah. going to work. And you know, you look at people that have been going years, and they still use the same opening and closing sets. And yes, bits and I mean, I, I mean, I don't know what your new or other non-new stuff is, but I think one of the mistakes that people make in general. Uh, you know at Angel or anywhere else that's new is that they feel like they should be doing more new material than they're not it's like somebody came up to me the other day and said oh one of the most amazing things I've seen uh, with you is that you 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 know you've been doing the same material for three years and you you're not bored by it and my response was (laughs) hang on that bit of material that's that's the last three years there is one line that has stayed the same there's there's about four times as many laughs in it and I've built other lines around it. Yeah. So yeah, it's about the same subject. Ostensibly, it's the same material, but it's not. I'm working on it constantly. Yeah. So the so the idea of a bit of material being finished. So even if you think you've got five minutes that really works, that five minutes can be as good as a Michael McIntyre like for laugh rate five minutes if yeah. you work at it for two years. Whereas there's a lot of people that think, oh right, okay, so I've got that, so I've got to move on to other material. No, get what you work and just I, it's like a archaeological dig. It's like you know, let's <laughs> let, let's find out more. There's always more laughs. There's always more that you can get. There's always more that you can uh, get out of your own persona on stage yeah. when, you're, when you're making it. So I, there's there's that as well. I think. 
Do you find because I've I've done some routines and then about maybe a week or so later I'm thinking about it in the car and then I'll think, well that's obviously the punchline. Why didn't I think of that before? Where do you get your? Do you do it on stage? You realise that's the the right way of doing it, or do you think about it afterwards? Oh, any anywhere, it can happen anywhere. The the most important thing I think with any writing or any stand up is to be doing it all the time. Yeah. So you like you have to let it occupy your mind. So the more that you're thinking about it, it's like who's the guy that uh, did the Sistine Chapel? Uh, what's his name? Michelangelo. Michelangelo. So I was re- I was listening to a podcast the other day, mentioning Michelangelo, and Michelangelo in the last few years of his life, like was just like literally twenty hours a day. Write a drawing, like do a painting for twenty hours a day. Made this whole kind of head thing made out of like had candles on it, so he yeah. could work at night. <laughs> that had you know, but just was obsessed. Yeah. And like you think, oh, he's a great talent. No, he just worked really, really hard. He, yeah. he let it. He let his life be obsessed by by that. So when you're t- when you're talking about being in the car and something coming for you, it's because you're thinking about it in the car. Yeah. It's because you're like it, there's the the secret isn't a particular way of doing it. It's actually just. If you're thinking about it all the time, like I saw Mark Watson about three years ago on the tube and he was on the tube and he was on his laptop, just typing away on his laptop. It was on a, you know, small kind of notebook on his thing. It's like, okay, so he's like, there are, there's seven minutes between this station, that station, MacBook, you know, he's doing everything all the time rather than, you know, and it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to be that kind of motivated. And, but I've, I kind of see that the people that, I see succeed unless they're lucky yeah um, and luck does exist but um, there's in, unless they're lucky then they have a certain work ethic that really kind of keeps them keeps them going so have you, have you got any routines you think that's finished or you can constantly working on everything no, no because you're changing as a person at all times yeah so nothing can be finished and everything's in flux so if, if I've got a routine that I think works well and then you know like within six months there's something about me that's changed or and it's not quite going the same way so you know you're always nipping and tucking oh that's you know there's the, everyone's got a different way of working but I'm much more about the the mood of the like I've got a lot of material I didn't realize how much material I have I have a lot um like I did my first hour preview on um on Tuesday last week and I was like, oh, I've got to do an hour. I did 55 minutes. I didn't even get through half of what I was meant to be talking about. That's and good, that, though. But that, and that wasn't even all my material. And the audience loved it. And they were really, they they were, it was great. Um, but uh, my point being is that I play on the crowd a lot and the energy in the room. Right. So, so, if a, so whatever, in terms of a bit of material being finished, it's not about it being, it's not about it being a solid piece I like whatever's happening in the room I will cater it to the mood that's in the room I'll play it stronger if the room needs stronger I'll play it less if the room needs less um, and 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 tweak it in regard to that which I don't know whether that's the wise thing to do but that's how I tend to because I saw an episode have you ever watched Seinfeld? Um, I've never really got into Seinfeld there's something about disaster comedy I see it as disaster comedy there's always something that happens some stressful thing that happens yeah. <laughs> I, get, I get so involved with the stressful thing that halfway through the episode I'm, well, I'm about to have a heart attack I, say, oh, I hope everything works out alright for him I think I should sit down and have a rest watch the thing through it and so I kind of I know I know it's meant to all be fun but I'm yeah. kind of like just a high stress person because I saw um Seinfeld do like 10 minutes at the comedy store mm. it was, it was uh, in, in London yeah it was oh, on YouTube on wasn't actually oh, there. but he was doing that this whole routine about when you go out you're just sitting in another chair mm. and it was really funny and then I started re-watching all of Seinfeld and the, ver- and the pilot episode from 1990 mm. in at the very start of that show he does like a little stand up bit mm. he was doing that same routine yeah, yeah, but yeah. it wasn't as good yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so he been, must have been working on that for 20 odd years yeah, and yeah, he's yeah. not got bored of it yeah I think that's the same sort of... But it's, it's working on it and, and keeping, uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I know routine is finished. You can always come up with a better, another line for something. Yeah. I, it, it's funny. One of the things that I find fascinating about the creative process is that a lot of people that 
so when you view the creative process from outside you can see a finished result or what you perceive as being a finished result yeah but it's not actually a finished result it's like a lot of authors even when the book has been they can't read their own books because they will look at the book that's been published that's in the bestseller list yeah you know in in foils or whatever and open it up and go oh that sentence should be better and i should be jk rowling's just come out and said that she said mm. that i don't know if you read harry potter but she said she should have got harry potter to be romantically involved with hermione right rather than whoever he ended up with uh Ginny Ginny and, uh, and Ron yeah it's just like and that was what how long ago was that last book five six years yeah. ago yeah and she's fretting about it now mm. which well, can't change it obviously yeah <laughs> whereas yeah. we could change our routine let's make the films again <laughs> <laughs> well, they probably will let's, let's make the let's make uh Daniel Radcliffe be that young again <laughs> okay. CG yeah so what's Apart from the angel gigs, what? How do your normal gigs go? Have you had any really bad howlers recently, or have they gone really, really well? Um, well, because I MC a lot, and because I mean, you must find this as well because you're a very likable person on stage. Thank but, you. But you like if you're likable on stage, you can't really have a bad gig. Really? You know, I like I I I kind of you know. It, you, I mean, you can have a bad gig for you, but you can't die because people like watching you. You know, yeah. it's like, there's no such thing as a howler. There's no such thing as the silence and the foot tapping. Um, and also, because I MC so much, I'm, you know, I've got so many different things I can try. Okay, yeah. so I can. Okay, so this isn't happening. Chat to a few people. Okay, that hasn't happened. Try. And I, I think the last bad gig that I had that was horrible was in Edinburgh, and it was at one a.m. in the morning in a. Uh, really hot room at the voodoo rooms and uh, I tried everything I, I threw everything at the audience the audience were kind of apathetic to begin with um, and I just kind of at the end <laughs> after about kind of 10 minutes and they were there they'd laugh sporadically but it wasn't enough for me to think that it was like they're enjoying it yeah um, and so it was kind of like uh, I but in that situation, I didn't so much blame the audience as just go, okay, so I've got to get better to be able to play that mm. kind of room. I'm not quite sure how to do it. Maybe I was a bit too manic. You know, you go back afterwards and just go, maybe if I'd placed it in a different way. You know, maybe some rooms are unplayable, but I don't believe ever in blaming an audience. No. Like it's never an audience's fault. I always kind of liken it to trying to start a car and it's turning over and it coughs a bit, but never... Mm. fires up and gets running when, yeah. when I have a bad gig yeah and it's about you knowing the car and it's like the the, the, the more experienced a comedian the more they know their car so they yeah. know that oh it's that oh it's that thing so I've just got to I've just got to go and bang it with my hip on yeah. the thing and it does that <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, or I've got to do um, some other something else to make it you know do you ever find there's different types of audience, like um, someone, an audience that might like really smutty stuff or oh, absolutely. Like clever stuff? And how do you judge that before you go on stage or to kind of know, given the venue? Um, you listen to the audience of whatever gig I'm on at. The first thing I'll do in any, as soon as the gig starts, is look at the audience, be hyper aware of what the MC is saying, what else is happening in the room, yeah. who is anyone talking, what kind of things they're laughing at, like, because that's your feedback for what you should be doing. So, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You've got enough in the bag, you can just sort of go, right, I'm going to do this, this and this now, rather than... Kind of. I don't even think that. I go, These days I go on stage and and give you know feel the audience out as on stage so that what they respond to I then give them a bit of this and a bit of that and you know because the problem I'm having at the moment is is I'm happy with what I'm writing but if I write a, a bit that's just got a little bit of detail in it like the little toppers or asides I can't remember those like I can I can talk about what the the whole thing about the routine is but then I can't remember the little jokes that mm. are inside it how do you remember that or is it just natural um New bits of material. So I was doing a new bit yesterday. Um, and what happens when I do new material is I faff. I, I, I use twice as many words as I should do. I find it difficult to remember the, the tags. I find it difficult to, put, to conjugate the words in, in, in the right thing, right way. The only way to remedy that is by being anal right. and learning it off by heart or going on stage and it being a bit crap for the first... 10 times you do it 20 times you do it I think that one of the most difficult things to do in any profession 
is to actually put the time into the stuff that you know it's like if you want to become good at basketball shooting hoops all day isn't going to make you any better but doing drills is yeah you know and it's like the equivalent of doing drills which is boring to some degree but you kind of that's I recognize that I have to do that I have to get those into my head because the more that you spend time getting that into your head, the more valuable your time when you're on stage will be. Yeah. Whereas if you just spend the time on stage kind of, you know, roughly trying to work through something, then you, when you come off, you haven't learned as much as you could have done about the material. Yeah. And all you've learned is that, okay, I've got to learn that better. So how long, how many hours a week do you think you are on stage? Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, oh, I don't know even how many, how many how long a night so let's think um, so I probably do 10 minutes at the top 7 to 10 minutes at the top 10 minutes maximum let's say at the top of two sections two halves um, and then in between each act I will do either 30 seconds if everything's gone fine or kind of 2 minutes or 3 minutes if something else comes up so let's say a, ma- a minimum of 15 minutes per half twice a twice a half so that's 15 20, that's 30 minutes a day so I'm doing at least so if I'm emceeing I'm doing at least 30 minutes a day um, let's say three hours a week three hours a week because that's probably a month no that's that'd be three months for me to do yeah. that yeah, yeah yeah that's the problem I'm just not enough stage time yeah so yeah. I'm trying to find sort of tens to do um, well yeah I, I know what you mean it's why I wanted to run my own club like yeah. I don't but remember, it's when you say, when I say three hours a week, it's not just the stage time. Like a lot of that is me doing material that I knows works. Yeah. So for making a club. So if you think about useful time. Yeah. You know, doing a doing a set, that's a lot more of a percentage of useful time that you're 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 going to get out of that. So if you are, you know, if you are doing shorter sets, then you really have to make sure that that time is is useful for you. Yeah. Like, I keep finding that I keep doing different things. Mm. the bit I'm doing about Hawks at the moment I'm really enjoying doing it because I didn't do it a couple of weeks ago but I my school photo is me holding a bird of prey Mm. which everyone seems to find funny and weird I didn't have a punchline for it so I thought about two weeks later I thought I'll pull someone off on stage and get them to pose with a bird and I'll take a picture of it Mm. so I've been doing that and I've been really enjoying that but of course I'm not I'm just kind of mucking around for five minutes. So yeah, I'm not yeah. really, I'm really enjoying doing it. So I think I'd rather do it at the moment and just enjoy enjoying it mm. rather than kind of writing a solid five. But that's probably detrimental to me further down the line. I don't know. I don't think so. No? I think that, the you know, there's lots of talk around what works and what doesn't yeah. in terms of lines. Ultimately, you're a man on st- or a woman on stage enjoying yourself. Yeah. And that... If you are truly enjoying yourself, not in a self-indulgent way, but in a kind of giving way, yeah, that's what anybody else is doing from Malcolm McIntyre downwards, and if, like the audience want to share in people's enjoyment of life. That's yes. pretty much what they're there for. It's there to be. That's what the entertainment is of it, you know. And whether your enjoyment comes from a kind of Robin Ince like you know uh inquisitory kind of you know what's up with particle physics kind of or whether that whether your enjoyment is from you know watching somebody kind of be on stage and have a hawk on their arm or whatever you know <laughs> but you don't double think what you want to do do yeah. it and and you know i think the most like often people come up to me because i've run a, a couple of new act nights people come up to me and goes and ask oh have you got any feedback or any advice I, there's never anything that you can give because an audience will tell you yeah and that if, if anyone gives you any advice the first thing you should do is ignore it <laughs> because the only advice you, you got like you can't you can't listen to people you have to do your own thing you yeah. have to find out what you find funny and put it on stage and if it doesn't work well at least you know that what you find funny doesn't work yeah or maybe it didn't work because of that reason or maybe it you know, so if that's what you're enjoying, that's what you should, definitely what you should do. Like, and nobody should tell you anything, even if like all the people with all the book comedy books in the world hit you around the head with it and go, "No, you can't do that." Yeah, fuck it, do it. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to the sort of the the big headliners that you've had at Angel. When I was um, chatting to Masood a few episodes ago, he said he saw he was working the sound one night somewhere, and Michael McIntyre came on, completely unannounced, mm. and he said the audience just sat back and went. Right, make me laugh. 
<laughs> because you've been on the telly. Mm. Do because the people know there's big names on. Do you think they? Do you think they expect them to be funny, or are they kind of like a normal crowd? Does that make sense? Um, I think one of the bonuses about Angel is it's a free gig, right? And because it's a free gig, it, it, it's got a much younger crowd because crowds don't have that much money. Yeah. Uh, the younger people don't have that much money. Um, and because it's free, there's an element of goodwill. So what Masood was talking about there, because we had Russell Howard, we had bigger acts on, yeah. but we haven't had Michael McIntyre. Now, what Masood was talking about was Michael McIntyre probably was playing the boat show at the Tattershaw Castle in the so, West yeah. End. Now, it's £15 a ticket. Right. So, and so what these people would have been, they would have been 30 plus... Right, you yeah. know, they would have been, um, you know, out for their night out, and they would have loved seeing Michael McIntyre, but they would have definitely been, oh, you're Mr. Big Hoops. Yeah, that's a phrase. You're, you know, you're Mr. Big. Come on, then show us. And that's something to do with what Michael McIntyre is, but it's also to do with the audience. Like there'd be other people, like you know, Sarah Millican might show up, and because she engenders more, a bit more warmth in people. Yeah, like people would have been like, oh, it's Sarah Millican. Oh, that's lovely. You know, or I don't know, I'm guessing, but I think it would depend on the person, but it also depends on the audience. So when uh, we had Rob Newman come along for some new material nights in August, and it was just brilliant watching people's re- reactions when he comes on because, cause, like, we didn't say he was on as a big thing. And, you know, because if somebody says not publicized, we don't publicize because, yeah. you know, we want to support the act as much as possible. And um, he came out, and so I think. Yeah, it came came on as uh, Rob Newman, and literally, you know, some members of the crowd had no idea who yeah. he was. Other members of the crowd, somebody, somebody, somebody just literally went, "No way!" <laughs> out loud, <laughs> like out loud, couldn't quite get their head around it. Yeah. And it was spent the first two minutes just in Google-eyed, like, "What? What's?" <laughs> like his mind had been blown. He'd come to a free comedy night, yeah. and then Rob Newman had had come on stage, just, "What?" I, uh. <laughs> um, but. You know, people, it was an enjoyable night anyway. Was um, he good? Because I haven't yeah. seen him for years. He's good. He's got a real kind of moral compass and he's he's definitely, um, his new theory of evolution show is great. Really good. Yeah. Mm. Who's been your favourite guest on, regardless of qu- uh, level, who's been your favourite on uh, Angel? Apart from me, obviously. Of you. Yeah. <laughs> There's nobody else. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, in what terms? Because favorite is or someone who surprised you the most i don't know surprised me um rob newman is absolutely lovely yeah really nice guy russell howard is lovely as well he was a really nice guy um so is tim vine i don't know uh so that's surprising that the big acts are just very thoughtful and very considerate and very yeah. you know i don't know about surprise like Sometimes it surprises me how rude people can be. Really? Like, uh, like uh, you very rarely get it, but sometimes people are just like, you know, they'll come on stage and do um, a load of really rude jokes that the audience will just go, no. Yeah. Uh, and then they'll overrun and do about 15 minutes instead of five. And like, literally, I'm about to carry them <laughs> off stage. And, and then, they'll, then they'll, yeah, just kind of essentially I'll say you massively overrun and then I'll just swear at me and then leave it's just like what really <laughs> yeah that's not very nice uh, obviously I'll get him on next week uh, as soon as possible <laughs> um, you'd be surprised how many times you get an email back just going oh when can I perform next it's like what uh, yeah um, the most surprising thing is that most people are absolutely lovely yeah like there's a real uh, you get in the stand up scene which you don't get in other scenes I think like acting or whatever is a real desire to help each other out and support each other and everyone gets on everyone wants the other person to succeed nobody wants anyone to die no you know and and that i find like most people wouldn't think that would be a case with stand-up because it seems like it's a you know alpha kind of game but it's but that always surprises me that i can't believe there can be that many nice people like yourself you're absolutely lovely you're you know but you are and that you know, there are so many lovely people that are really supportive, really considerate, really thoughtful and are willing to help other people out where they can. Yeah. And and that's absolutely lovely. I, um, And it, oh, it doesn't cease to surprise me, you know, so. Do the big acts hang around? Do they get, do the audience sort of chat to them much or do they just run well, off, run away? Well, Eddie Izzard came along six weeks ago and literally stood around in the break 
um, writing autographs for people. Was he performing uh, or just an audience? He was there watching somebody else. He came right. along because he wanted to see a certain act. So he watched the first half, signed autographs in the break, and the second half sat downstairs with, um, it was Masood and Sarah that day running it because I was a fucking pantomime <laughs> with my family like that I couldn't get out of without breaking the hearts of my nieces however I had to break my own heart in order to I knew Eddie was coming as well but um but anyway and Eddie sat down and downstairs and chatted for about yeah. you know 40 minutes with with Sarah Masood and about the club and then mentioned it on the radio the next day ah. and but really gave time to the to the night you know was there yeah. which was lovely of him because I, I quite like the setup of that room because you've got the fire escape on the side. Yes. So you can kind of get really nervous out of the view of everyone else and you don't have to jump up from the audience, yeah. which is quite good. Yeah. How, where do you see the night going? Or are you happy with it as it is? I'd like to it to be um, a little more self-sustaining so it's a little less work on a day-to-day level. Ah. Um, it's... I would also like to do slightly more innovative nights in the sense of at the moment there's a, you know, it's good mainstream nights, good new act nights, um, but just to do something that's a little bit more exciting, you know, because, um, which is happening anyway, like we've got Tony Law coming down doing a residency every week. Uh, This week I'm doing a Choose Your Own Adventure comedy night, which is a... Uh, with it was me and Alistair Beckett King doing a kind of computer game which people kind of react to you know it's like so you it's like a choose your own yes choose your own adventure game but with an audience and um, it's uh, so doing that doing um, uh, like we've got a live scriber coming in regularly somebody that's basically on the side of the stage drawing the gig as it happens right okay Uh, um, I've got the Veg- London Vegetable Orchestra coming in um, <laughs> and well not the London Vegetable Orchestra but people playing vegetables right. as an orchestra I've got uh, some music live music happening I've got a uh, regular Elvis impersonator coming in uh, which I love the idea of <laughs> absolutely but things like that, that that make the night a more unique I know that a lot of the people coming anyway see it as a unique experience yeah but to make it a bit special, make so give them an idea of, um, give the audience something that they wouldn't have seen before. Like two years ago on the Sundays, it used to be a different type of night and I used to do things like take the audience out and we, you know, like in the middle of summer, knocking on doors, singing Christmas carols and, right. <laughs> and doing different things like that. And I'd just like to bring a little bit more of that kind of exciting, interesting comedy to. You ever thought about doing a character night? Um... I think, I mean, I, I would, but um, I got nothing against character nights. I'd, I'd like to, like, the, there's an improv night on a Monday now, um, and we're seeing how that goes. But I'd like, there are too few days in the week, and it's about making, it's, as much as anything else, it's about making the club work because it's what people come for. Yeah. So people like the new act nights, so they come for that. So I can't really take any of those out. And that, you know, and then you're left with, oh, I can't take those out and you can't take those yeah. out. And that show night on Tuesday, people like that. And we've got like Bridget Christie coming down and, you know, um, like really big acts that are coming down, like Nick Helms coming, you know, to do like an hour show. Yeah. So you don't want to take those out. Um, so it gets to the point where I'd love to have a sketch and character night. I'd love to have more. And I don't quite know how to fare it there's no way of fitting should we petition the government for an eight day week yes that's what i need saturday angel day sunday yes (laughs) you know just in between saturday and sunday a three-day weekend that'd be great um so how's your um when you're writing your material do you literally write it down or do you just think about it and then you can write on stage as it were i write it down um is it verbatim or just sort of bullet points I write it out and when it's written out it's the best way that I think it could be written then um, when I'm on stage it might come out in a slightly different way Yeah, and that's why it's always useful to have a recorder there to, yes. because then you go ah that was the way that I said it that was the tone that really worked there was something yeah. really punchy about that um, but I always write it down I know there are people that don't I could imagine getting to a point where I don't have to write it down but right now I'm not at that place um, it's I- more about the accuracy of what I'm saying. Yeah, because I re-watched my first ever gig about a week ago. 
and I was surprised at how different it was. It's very slow, um, a lot slower than I'm doing it now, and it just it just felt like I was chatting to people that I knew rather than mm. performing it at them. So now I'm going to try and recreate that because it just seemed to go a bit better than mm. my pre-prepared stuff. That mm. makes sense. You have to be live there. You can't be in your head. It has to be the only way that material works is if it's if you're saying it to as if it's friends. Yeah. If you're if you're reading it, it's really interesting. Richard Herring came along and did a preview last year, and uh, he it was odd. I mean, he's great. But he just read it off a piece of paper, and it was this new show, obviously. Right. But he, but he read it like he was reading it off a paper. He didn't perform it, and the audience enjoyed it. Yeah. Because it was Richard Herring, and they yeah. were there for Richard Herring, and they really enjoyed that. But it was still, there was still a strange remove from the performer and yeah. the audience, and so, yeah, it was it it was noticeable. It was interesting to watch. Yeah, because I watched the first Mickey Fanagan live DVD, mm. and. It was all great, but then when something went wrong or someone heckled, it kind of he kind of came out of his character mm. and was chatting to the audience, and then he went back into the performance. That's interesting. So it looked, it felt like he could have been saying it, and there's no audience there. It mm. wasn't. It didn't seem to be feeding off of it or engaging with it. It's very strange. Well, I I think when you're doing longer sets, much longer sets, like if you're doing an hour and a half or two hours, like yeah. Lee Mack was it talks about being on stage at the Hammersmith wherever it not the Hammersmith the Birmingham somewhere NEC or whatever and realizing that as he was talking oh shit my in my head in his head thinking oh shit my I'm thinking about what I'm having for lunch tomorrow <laughs> and like being that removed and like oh yeah. I've got to be and I, I think it's easy to be that removed and it's easy to kind of rest in what's working especially at the bigger gigs because yeah. the bigger gigs there's something where you can't quite relate it becomes i think the bigger the act you are the more of a caricature you become yeah so the more of an act it is you know with and so i'm sure it's a lot more difficult to be present whereas if you're in a room it's got 100 people in you can see their faces and you can talk to them point them out and they can all yeah. see each other and react to each other it's a totally different experience something else that paul foot said to me is like he did a show at las vegas and he was doing these big rooms and it's just a totally different muscle you know, he was he was doing you know performing to five thousand people yeah. rather than fifty people or a hundred people, one hundred and fifty, and like you might be amazing in a room full of two hundred people, but in a room full of five thousand, if you've not done it before, it's your first time you've done it. Yeah, and you you like you have to. Who else was I talking to? Um, oh no, it was Adam Hess. He supported David Baddiel on tour. Right, and Adam was just saying, yeah, it just you you have to learn the skill of playing a bigger room which is slowing down which is you know they want the space to laugh because there's yeah. more people they take longer <clears throat> you know so it's a totally different experience so when you get on stage at say angel where do you look to start with because i'm not quite sure whether i should be sort of looking over the top of everyone looking in the middle or looking at the people at the front mm. who do you where do you aim it at when you don't get on think stage? about it don't think about it don't think about it Right. If you're thinking about it, then it's not a relevant thought. Right. Okay. Like you, you know, when you talk to, when you're talking to me now, you're not yeah. thinking. Do I look at Barry's eyes? Do I look at his nose? Well, Maybe, that I don't want to look at the scarf. He's got like, on. Do I look at the scarf? Or do I kind of like look at his forehead? Or like the, you know, it's that, you know, the story about the caterpillar that dances, the right. the, you know, this caterpillar. It's like it's it's an Aesop fable or something, right. a moral fable. Um, you know, um this is caterpillar and it does the best dance in the world like you know and it's like oh the big party in the jungle's coming up and everyone's like oh yep. the caterpillar's gonna dance and the, the ants that are very jealous of the caterpillar just goes goes i fucking hate the caterpillar i want to <laughs> fuck him up this is so, a children's story yeah, I don't. and so he goes up to the caterpillar and just goes so you know when you dance do you move your third foot on your left side and then your 26th foot on your right side and then the second foot on your right side and then and the caterpillar starts thinking about it and then he can't dance. Right. And it's this, the same thing with, with stand-up. If you start thinking about it on stage, about what you should be doing, what you shouldn't yeah. be doing, you can't do it. It's got to be natural. It's got to be... Like, if that if you have that thought, you can't get the right answer to that thought. So if you're, if you're thinking that thought, we go, oh, right, I'm thinking an, uh, a useless thought. Just get, get it out. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Right. Yeah. I'll do that next time. Yeah, well, that's my opinion. On that. <laughs> <laughs> like, rather than going the third person in the third row, look at them, and everything will be all right. I'm doing um, up the creek on Thursday. Oh, okay, it's the first day. time I've been there as well. So, mm. I've been, well, I've been there once as an audience member. It was on um, 
Halloween last year, mm. there was six people in the room. Yeah. Plus the uh, comedians that was on stage. So it was very it's empty. Halloween. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. So, coming to the end of the episode, mm-hmm. have you got anything you want to plug? Uh, Thursday nights at Angel are my nights. I'm doing the choose your own adventure stuff. I'm doing, right. and I'm on on doing an hour every month for the next up until Edinburgh called the Barry Experience. The Barry Experience. So uh, yeah, come along to the Barry Experience and tell me what you think of Barry. Yeah, and his experience. Of, of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, how what are you doing for Edinburgh? Are you going up for the full run? Yes. Doing a show. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing my show on top of Arthur's seat that I do every year. I'm doing my full run for the first solo hour which is the Barry experience I'm doing the choose your own adventure comedy night oh, I'm, well I say I'm doing all those things if I get offered a room I'll be right. doing those things if I don't get offered a room I'll just be doing the show on top of Arthur's seat that's the one with the picture of you on top of a hill yep is that what's going well yeah it's lovely how many so, people do you get up there about three <laughs> and uh, a dog <laughs> oh never got dog no no <laughs> Um, no, it's usually quite nice. It's usually quite nice because it's got a reputation now, so people come up because uh, okay. it's, it's part of some people's Edinburgh experience. Right. Yeah, like, uh, you because know, it's an unusual thing. Yeah, because I'm doing my first French. Edinburgh this year, just going out for a week doing some open mics mm. just to see what it's like because mm. there's no way I could do a show or anything like that because I'm not good enough. Uh, no one come and see it. Um, well, you can always do a show with a few other people and people yeah. all come see it. It's the right. People know. have asked, but I'm just not. I'm not sure. Maybe I'll change my mind as it gets nearer the time and then we run out of time. Well, it's a lot to do with if you've got a family as well, a lot of time to take out. Well, I'm lucky because my wife goes away to her parents for a week in summer with the kids. Okay. So and I get that week off because I usually work, so I'm going to take that week and go to Edinburgh instead. Okay. So I still think about doing a show up there, like, yeah. you know, even printing, like, there's often odd weeks available. Get uh, two or three other people. You can always get an audience in because Edinburgh flyer yeah. for the audience and then. You know, and it's easier to get a gigs if you've got a gig. So if you've got a, right. you know, if you're doing a three-hander and there's a spare spot every time, you can swap that gig for other gigs while you're up there. It's right. actually not a bad thing to do. Okay. If you're happy to do a little bit of admin with terms of designing a basic flyer and, yeah. and uh, you know, paying the fringe costs, then it's, yeah, it's, I'd say it's worth it because the good thing about Edinburgh is there is an audience there. Right. Like, um, you can get an audience as long as you're happy to work and fly to get it. Because yeah, I literally know nothing. I've only just learned how to spell Edinburgh because mm. I've written into Google so much. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's about it for this episode. All right. Thank you for coming in. It's, been, right. it's been a pleasure. Um, we will see you next time. Yeah, next time. Next I, time. Every single time. Every I'm going to be in the podcast every single time now. <laughs> Is that the agreement? I think so. That's the agreement. Okay. Well, thank you very much. That's all right. Thank you.